As I mentioned earlier, there, there's a lot of things that, that we are accused of as Christians. And one of those things is uh, that, 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 we have, that, that our faith is a blind faith. And I remember growing up, or, yeah, not growing up, but I remember years ago, boy, I, I would argue that. No, it's not blind faith. It's not blind faith. It's based on evidence. Um, obviously, that, that, that phrase was meant to be disparaging. <laughs> uh, you just have blind faith. You're just some, again, you're just some, uh, you know, some hick that just fell off a turnip truck to believe this. There's, there's it's just blind faith, a blind leap in the dark. I used to defend, I used to, to argue against that. that, the, that this, this notion of blind faith, that you, that you simply trust and believe without any question, without any evidence. And, and, and here's recently what I've come to. What, pray tell, is wrong with that? If, in fact, the object of our faith is something different than I'm going to get a new job. In fact, I will argue this morning from our text that this is exactly the kind of faith that God calls us to. That it is this kind of blind faith that our text will reveal today. Look with me in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. We'll read the whole text. And then we'll come back. And they came to Jericho. Remember, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's crossed over the Jordan. and He's been moving south down through what is called Perea, or, you know, it's called beyond Jordan. He's coming. And now he's getting, he's going to get ready to cross over, back over the Jordan to Jericho, which Jericho, if you remember your Old Testament stories, is located just on the other side of the Jordan. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then he rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Verses 46-52 really bring to an end this major section that we have that began in chapter 8. In fact, this healing is almost a bookend of this section. Um, If you remember, they had stopped outside of Capernaum long enough for uh, Jesus to teach about divorce. And if you remember, at that time, uh, to, to welcome the children. We talked about that last week. And soon they were on the road again. And, and uh, they go and, in fact, in, uh, uh, encounter, I guess you could say they encountered a, a rich young ruler. We looked at the, 
the contrast between the, the children and the ruler. And then if that wasn't enough, as he's continuing down south along the Jordan Valley there on the other side of the Jordan, he, he again, the, for the third time, has to deal with these, these pesky disciples, these knuckleheads. They just can't get it. Look with me back at verse 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, going up. They were on a map, they're going down, but they're going up in terms of elevation. Jesus walking ahead of them, they were amazed and followed, taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen. And see, we are going up to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the scribes, they'll condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. This is the third time he's told them this. In fact, he adds details. He says, you know, they'll mock him, they'll spit on him, they'll flog him, and they'll kill him. He's speaking third person, he's talking about himself. And after three days he will rise. And probably before the, the, those words came out of his mouth, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him. In fact, one of the other uh, Gospels suggested it was his mother. Mommy went on their behalf. So James and John sent their mom and said to them, he said, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't it interesting? He, he ties this section in with, with Bartimaeus because what does he ask Bartimaeus? What do you want me to do for you? So he says to James and John, through mommy, what do you want me to do is you grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left. <laughs> Jesus just said, I'm going to go and I'm going to die a horrible, cruel death of crucifixion. They're going to spit on me and mock me, but I'll rise the third day. Yeah, hey, Jesus, uh, listen, who's going to sit up? Who's going to be your right hand man? And who's going to be your little left hand? Who's going to be your wingman? And Jesus has to correct them yet again. He says, in verse 42, Jesus called them and said to them, you know, by, by the way, the other disciples were indignant, it says. And you know why they were indignant? They didn't think of it first. They didn't think of going to Jesus first. Uh, but but in, in 41, when the ten heard this, they became indignant. Jesus called them and said, you know, those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And, and this is probably the, 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 the theme verse of all of Mark. I would say this verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The first part of this verse, verse 45, that came, the Son of Man came to be served, not to be served, but to serve, is all that we've looked at in Mark up until this point. Now the rest of the Mark is... for. To give his life as a ransom for me. And 46, Mark in, in his very, uh, so Mark and style, they came to Jericho. They, in other words, he said, and they, and they arrived in Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho. So, um, now, I... I, I there's a lot of people that brought up that, that this is a contradiction in the gospel because the other gospels talk about that. Mark, I think it was Luke who said that he was he was uh, arriving at Jericho when he healed Barnabas. He was leaving Jericho. Here's the deal. Um, there's no contradiction. If you remember the Old Testament story of Jericho, uh, and that song's probably going through your head right now, right? Um, what happened to Jericho? The walls came. Tumbling down. Uh, Jericho was destroyed. In fact, God pronounced a curse on Jericho. He said, anybody who, who, who attempts to rebuild this city is cursed. 
Well, Jericho was rebuilt. So this wasn't the, there was a new Jericho that was built that Herod built. And Herod would have been aware of, of, of the Old Testament teaching. He would have been aware of this curse. So what does he do? He doesn't rebuild Jericho. So he has a legal loophole. He, he moves the site a little further away from the old Jericho and builds a new Jericho. And apparently this was one of his favorite cities. It was, from all accounts that I read, it was, it was beautiful. It was extremely beautiful. Very affluent. This, in fact, uh, one account I read said that this is where the wealthy would go to winter. So this was like their Florida. You know, they, they had a home in, in Jericho. You know, they, they lived in Bethel, but during the winter they'd come and stay at their home in Jericho. Anybody else knew a famous person who lived in Jericho? Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a... And a... You know, a man was he. Thank you, Michael. It's going through your head right now, isn't it? Mark doesn't tell us anything about Zacchaeus. He focuses on this man that Jesus meets on his way out of Jericho named Bartimaeus. Verse 46. And he was leading Jericho with his disciples and a, a great crowd, a huge throng of people. It says, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside. Now this is Mark. This is a, another example in the Gospel of Mark where he is making clear, he's interpreting for Gentiles the name Bartimaeus. Um, okay, here's a, here's a Hebrew. It's all, ironically, it's also Aramaic. Uh, bar means son. So Bar, Timaeus, is son of Timaeus. So it, it, it was a redundant for Mark to say, uh, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus. In other words, he, he's, he's clarifying this was the son of Timaeus. So, Bar means son of Bat. It, sent, it looks like Bat, but it's Bat. Bat means daughter. So, it says Bathsheba. Bathsheba is the daughter of Sheba. What's that? Bar Mitzvah is the son of the law, of the, of the covenant. Commandment, but Mitzvah's daughter. I remember, was it you or Lindy that went to a bot Mitzvah? I went to like four. You went to like four bot Mitzvahs. One of them I sent you guys back upstairs to change, I think. That wasn't you? That was Lindy. Oh, that's right, that was Lindy. She thought it was bot Mitzvah like she'd go to Studio 52 or whatever. Anyway, I digress. Son of Timaeus. This was someone's son. Let's, let's, not, let's not forget that. These were real people. This, this, this was Timaeus' son. Um, have we ever considered what life would have been like? I, I know that, uh, that, that, that there, there are many people, even people in our church, that, that have challenges and are helping others and but, but life was extremely hard during this time for blind people. Eye diseases and eye infections were very common. Um, and there, there, there weren't a lot, well, there weren't any eye clinics. Uh, there was no Kaiser, you know, the low copay that you could go to. Um, we do know in Laodicea, later on, 
from this. They, they, they had a, apparently had some kind of a medical school that had, they claimed they had an eye salve that, that helped. I guess that's probably the original infomercial. Um, no, no prescriptions. No, no disability payments. They were essentially resigned to begging. And it just so happened that in the midst of this chaos, him, Jesus leaving. It's like a Trump rally. He's leaving uh, Jericho and these, this throng of people are with him. And he's, he's, on the, he's, he's on the road going outside of Jericho. And, and, and I've never been there, but from what I understand, from Jericho to Jerusalem, is, is a, the elevation rises steeply. And, and there would have been a small, narrow, serpentine path or road that, goes from Jer- that went from Jericho to Jerusalem. In fact, this is the very road that Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan on. That, that this was a very dangerous road, especially at night, that robbers and crooks would hide out on these is a, to rob people. And as he's leaving Jericho, in the midst of the noise in the throng, the son of Timaeus, hers, it, don't, don't, don't miss this, he was blind, but he could still hear. And he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. And he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And probably the uncomfort that you feel right now is how they felt. This was breaking protocol. You know. And in fact, they said, be quiet, be silent. I want us to look at five characteristics of blind faith. And hopefully demonstrate this is exactly the kind of faith that God calls us to. Verse 47. He cried, he began to cry out. This seems obvious, doesn't it? Blind faith cries out. Now, it doesn't mean that that, that uh, you, you, you literally have to, you know, verbally vocalize and cry out. And by the way, as as we go through this text, you will notice that 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 prayer and faith become almost interchangeable. That when I'm talking about prayer, I'm really talking about faith. When I'm talking about faith, I'm talking about our expression of faith, which is prayer. Prayer is an expression of our faith. When we pray, it is an indication, or what we pray, when we pray, if we pray, it's, an, it's an, a manifestation, expression of our faith. Blind faith cries out, and, and, and notice how, what he cries out. The only place in the entire gospel that Jesus is called the son of David was by this blind beggar. How in the world had he come to a place where he recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. This is a messianic title. Son of David. That this is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Blind faith cries out. In other words, blind faith has a sense of urgency. 
a sense of urgency. Uh, keep your marker here. Turn to Matthew chapter 14, if you would. Remember the story when Jesus is walking on the water and the disciples, they're afraid, they see him. And good old Peter says, Lord, it is, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Verse 28. In verse 29, Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. When he saw the wind and was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Dear Heavenly Father in heaven, I thank thee that thou art most gracious, thou art most merciful and kind. Would you please bless me right now? Would you come alongside me and grant me comfort? What did, what did you pray? Save me! Blind faith has a sense of urgency. See, we have to learn how to and be willing to cry out to the Lord. And many, if not most Christians, never even get to this point. Notice, notice this prayer. We go back to Mark. There was no demanding. There was no declaring. That's really big in, in, in church these days. I declare that we're all healthy and well, in, in the land of Bethel, they do a lot of it. I guess they didn't declare anything about wildfires. No entitlement. What does he say? Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. See, this is the posture of blind faith. It's a plea, it's an urgent plea for mercy, not based on anything we have done, not based on anything that we have earned. And this ultimately begins, first and foremost, preeminently, is when we believe to be saved. We, we cry out to Him, Oh God, save me. But it also is a, it, it is a condition or it is a characteristic of blind faith and sanctification. When was the last time you prayed something with dire urgency where you cried out to God? Partly is, uh, quite frankly, we've had it pretty good. Maybe not for much longer. He cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. But blind faith is not just urgent. Blind faith also persists. What happens when he does this? Many rebuked him. And, and you might want to circle many. And if, if, you're, if you're not averse to writing things in the Bible, I, I wrote a little line and put, including his disciples. These guys were the first ones to start telling people to shut up. I.e. the children. Remember? Get away, stop bringing your children to Jesus. Get off my lawn. They're, they're the guys who you know got cigarette butts and they're sitting on the front porch going, Get off my lawn, kid. You know. 
They're, they're constantly. What about the woman? Remember the woman that came for healing? What did they say to Jesus? Send her away. Send her. These, these people, these guys were constantly sending, trying to send people away from Jesus, and Jesus was constantly trying to do what? Draw them to himself. It was a persistent cry. They said, shut up, be quiet, stop. And he did say, okay, alright, you're right, I lost my head. What does he say? He cried out, verse 48, he cried out all the more. Ever, ever gone to the Lord in prayer? And then all of a sudden you start thinking, what's the use? He's not going to do it. I, um, or um, our, our flesh, we just get tired, we get worn down, we lose heart, we get discouraged, we stop praying, we stop having faith. Or, and, or, our enemy. Make no mistake about it, there is, whenever we exercise faith, whenever we pray, I guarantee you the enemy is there, right there, wanting to prevent you from doing that. Remember that quote, I read this quote on a while from Ian Bounds, he says, Satan doesn't fear our Bible studies. Satan doesn't fear our, all of our meetings and what he fears is when Christians get serious about pray, prayer and fall on their knees and start crying out to God. That's what he fears. Blind faith persists. Cries out all the more. When it's discouraged, when there is someone or something telling us to be silent and to quit, and be, it, it, it perseveres, it persists. Um, remember the story of Jacob and, and when he wrestled with the man. And he, he wrestled all night and, and, and he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. This, this strange, which clearly was a Christophany, an appearance of Christ, a, a manifestation of Christ, a pre-incarnate, literal manifestation of Christ. It's all through the Old Testament, by the way. There's a great book called The Angel of War that talks about it. See, blind faith in its highest form assumes this attitude of wrestling with God. See, I'm not going to let go. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. He just, Jesus just gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer. I'll be your name, your kingdom come, you give us this day our daily bread, so forth. Verse 5, and he said, And which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say, Your friend, lend me three loaves? Okay, let's get real clear what's going on here. Um, let's say that I show up to your house and I ring your doorbell. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. And, uh, you, you know, you come to the door, you're startled, you're, you know, nothing good happens at midnight, right? I mean, especially if someone rings your, rings your doorbell at midnight, hey, it's not good. Like, yeah, hey, uh, I was wondering if you could give me, uh, give me some bread. I got some folks that are coming in tomorrow morning, and 
I'd like to fix him some. I'd like to give him some toast. What? Well, I couldn't wait. Good morning. He will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children will be with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend. Or I probably could say soon to be former friend. Uh, yet because of his... And ESV gives this strange translation. Uh, impudence. We, we just don't use that word very much anymore. Impudent. Well, what's, well what is a person who's impudent? Annoying. Insensitive, annoying. Lack of any kind of social understanding because this per- shameless persistence the guy goes okay just to get this guy out of my house I'm going to give him some bread now the, the point of this parable is not that Jesus is like that it's not that God is like that it, it's not he's not to say that God like the guy and our prayers are an annoyance to him this is what we call a lesser to greater argument. He's saying that if a friend would be willing to do that for a person who is persistent, how much more will your Heavenly Father respond to your persistence? Your persistent faith. Your persistent prayer. See, persistence is the ability to hold on, to press on, to, to with what I would call restful patience, not anxious patience, but restful patience, in the spite of all kinds of forces, for lack of a better word, all kinds of forces telling us to shut up and to give up. So in fact, some say, well, you know, if you keep praying about if you persist in praying about something, then that shows a lack of faith. It, it, it is, in essence, you know, vain repetitions. that Jesus says we shouldn't engage in vain repetitions. Well, it's interesting, because Jesus says in Matthew 7, Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. All of those are, in, this is where grammar really means something. All of those are in present tense. It, it literally is, keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and it will be open to you. Blind faith persists. This is not vain repetition. There's a difference between vain repetition, which is mere mantras, just a repeating of mindlessly repeating words. There's a difference between vain repetitions and urgent repetitions. Blind faith persists. Three, blind faith sells out. This is, this is crucial. Look at me again at verse 49. Mark 10, 49. And Jesus stopped. There's something about this kind of prayer. Something about this kind of faith that gets Jesus' attention. He stops. And he said, call him. And they called the blind man saying, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And I thought... Those of you that have been on Wednesday night study, you know when we study when you study narrative, biblical narrative, and this is a gospel is is a really unique genre, but it is it has all it has a lot of the similarities to the narrative. 
in, in, in biblical narrative, historical narrative especially, whenever there's details, those are significant. Why did Mark clue in on he threw off or he tossed aside? It's unclear whether he, if it was, he was wearing this. In all likelihood, he was sitting on it. He threw it aside, and he gets up probably with help and is taken to Jesus. Why did he give us that detail? It, because a cloak meant something completely different to a beggar than it did to the average person. You see, see this cloak wasn't just for warmth. It was not just something to wear. It was vital for his existence. That they would spread their cloak out on the ground. They would sit on it. They'd spread it on it. And, and they, it, so most of it would be in front of him. And this was where, when they would beg for alms, people would place their alms. They would place their alms on their cloak. It would be like going downtown and someone has a, yeah, a hat. It was kind of their collection plate, and it was indispensable for begging, for the collection of alms. I would imagine that it, because of that and because of other things, that, that, that this cloak, if, if you ever see, there, there's a guy that I see uh, going around a homeless with a cart. He's got, he's got all this stuff in his cart. You know, it's just piled up on his cart. Why? There, there, there's a sense of, well, I don't know. Talk to him and ask. But, but I think that there's probably a sense of security when you don't have very much. What you what little you have is it, a source of security. In essence, it was a security blanket for him. In many ways. Economic security, emotional security. What risk did he run... In, in this big, huge crowd of tossing his cloak aside and running to Jesus. What risk did he run? He ran the risk of losing it. Of forfeiting it. In fact, I would argue that's exactly what his intention was. He believed he wouldn't need it anymore. Or at least that that was what he was going there to ask. Philippians 3.13 You don't have to turn there. Let me read it. Philippians is the mind. Philippians 3.13 I think it's the sense of this. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own to have arrived. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize that ever call of God in Christ Jesus. Completely different context, but something else. Well, but, but, but the point that I'm trying to draw here that I thought of was this, this I, I'm, I'm going to burn all the bridges behind me. No escape routes. I guess the question for me is, in, 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 at risk of being too, oh, um, allegorical. What is our cloak? So when it comes to faith, prayer, prayer, faith, I think we play it too safe. We have our little cloak, our, our comfort zone. 
And when we pray, usually our prayer requests tend to be very general and very vague. And, 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 and it's a cloak. It's to preserve our faith. There's no risk that just in case he doesn't answer, I preserve my faith. At least I still have my cloak. And, and maybe I'm just talking about me. So if I am, if this, you don't think this applies to you, then just indulge me. I'm talking about me. Well, what if, what if I ask him? We're going to look at this in a minute. What if I ask him for something really specific? I'm jumping ahead. See, it, it's much easier just to play it safe and continue to live beggarly lives and, and, and exercise beggarly faith than to throw our cloak aside and come to Jesus and say, I want to see. Blind faith comes to the Lord with no safety nets. No qualifications. Yeah, you know, it's not his will. It's not the second Tuesday of... It has no backup plans. Which leads me to number four. Blind faith is specific. What is Jesus asking? Verse 51. What do you want me to do? Again. Does that like strike you as odd? Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. What do you want me to do? Uh, does God know your heart cry and, and what you need and what your requests are before you even think it or speak it? Don't you think he already knows that? Why does he ask us to exercise faith and pray? Why would he say, what do you want me to do? Do you think Jesus didn't already know? See, the Lord wants us to exercise blind faith, and blind faith articulates very specifically what we're asking of him. Not generalities. Not God bless all our missionaries. You know, the times when we, we tried to pray corporately for each missionary, you know, frequently we would just, at least we pray, but, you know, pray, oh, God, bless our missionaries, provide for them, keep them safe. Now, I, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that kind of prayer. Well, yeah, I yeah. am. Uh, but that's probably better than nothing. But there's something wrong with that prayer. Namely, it's safe. How would we ever know whether he did or he didn't? You see... When we get specific, we have to really trust. We have to really trust because it'll be very clear what happens. Uh, for instance, let's say that I have a big test on Friday. And I say, God, I want to get an A on my test. At some point, I'm going to find out. Namely, on Friday. Well, not now, Danny, because the grading period is, you know, takes you no longer than. Or, uh, and I told Tom I had to give him credit for this in case I have to give Tom credit. You know, you know the lawyer commercials? Past results are no guarantee of future results. Sometimes we have that when it comes to prayer. And faith. 
we we throw our cloak aside when we come to him and we and we ask him very specifically and we believe very very specifically for something and articulate something very specific because that is when we take the greatest quote unquote risk but this is also when God will be most glorified. Uh, for the sake of time, number five, blind faith follows. Back in Mark, he's, uh, Jesus said, Then go your way, your faith has made you well. So, so. This is a word uh, that, in other contexts, it's a word that's used for healing, but also for saving. So, whenever there was a physical healing, if you've been in this whole, this whole series, you see that the, the Gospels use a word that is used for both healing and saving. So some of our translations say, your faith has saved you. Perfectly good translation. And, and I've argued that, that, that the, the meaning of that word is intentionally ambiguous because outer healing is a sign and a symbol of an inner spiritual healing. That Jesus just didn't go around healing people physically and, and let them die and go to hell. In other words. In other words, how could Jesus prove, in fact, he uses this parable, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk. Well, it would be easier to say your sins are forgiven. Anybody can say that. How do you prove that? Only God can forgive sins. True. But how do you prove whether their sins are really forgiven or not? But if you say take up your mat and walk, if they don't, you know they're not. So when Jesus says your faith has made you well, the fact that he was physically healed indicated the, the authority and the reality of Jesus to save him. See the point. Bartimaeus experienced both. How did Mark know Bartimaeus' name? Mark never, no, Mark never been to, as far as you know, he's never been to Jericho. In fact, he may not even have been there. This is probably Peter's. How did they know Bartimaeus' name? This is some nondescript beggar on the side of the road. How did they know that this guy's name was Bartimaeus? Well, verse 52 says he did what? He got up and what? And followed him on his way to Jerusalem. Let me ask you this. What was the first big event that Bartimaeus saw with his own eyes? The crucifixion. Remember what Peter said? Not long before this, Lord, we, we've left everything and followed you. In John 6, uh, an account that Mark didn't record, the height of Jesus' popularity, he turns to the crowd and he says, after he's fed the 5,000, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And what happened? People left. They said, I'm out. And the picture is him with his disciples and just a bunch of trash on the hillside, you know, from where the crowd. And he he turns to him and says, you guys going to leave too? Good old Peter. Yeah, he said some stupid things, but he said some really faithful, profound things too. He said, Lord, where would we go? 
You have the words of life. Where would we go? Buddha? Krishna? Ramalama Ding Dong? Who am I going to go to? Part of me is, where, 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 where else? If this, if this is not real, nothing is. Blind faith cries out. Blind faith persists. Is there any evidence that he's going to receive, regain his sight? It sells out. It, it, it doesn't... Blind faith doesn't die the death of a thousand qualifications. And I know, I know some of those qualifications is we don't want to be lumped in with, with these, the kooks, these, these name and claim and entitlement kooks. But I, 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 I'm on this... God has me on this, this path that there's a huge space in between where those people are and where we've been. That we can move into, that we can. Blind faith cries out, blind faith persists, blind faith sells out, blind faith is very specific and articulates what exactly it is that we are asking of the Father. Blind faith follows no matter what. Is He going to answer every single one of our prayers? Probably not. But we can't let that be something that prohibits us and, and tells us to be silent, to shut up. It, on the other hand, are there some things, maybe even many things, that God would have done had we prayed, had we had faith? How many times have we seen in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to see it again, at least one more time, very clearly, what was the reason for him making them well and for saving them? It specifically said, because they believe, they have faith. So one extreme is to say that in order to be healed, I have to have faith. And if I have faith, I must be healed. And equal and opposite error is to say, faith has nothing to do. I, don't, I can't parse out ahead of time when he will or when he won't or why he will or why he won't. All I know is the Bible, t- the, the Gospels talk a lot more about faith than I heretofore have been exercising. And I would suspect a lot more faith calls us to a lot more faith than what you have been heretofore exercising. But we've got our cloaks. What if he doesn't? Blind faith cries out, blind faith persists, blind faith sells out, blind faith is very specific and articulates very specifically, and blind faith follows no matter what. It sounds to me like blind faith is biblical faith. And not something that we should be embarrassed about, not something that we would try to explain, oh no, it's a, no that's exactly what it is. A blind beggar saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Let's in fact pray. Father, forgive us for our lack of faith. Forgive us for our many forms of unbelief, 
of skepticism. Forgive me. Father, I pray that... Well, I don't want... Father, I don't want us to become the center of this story, will we? But the fact that Jesus stopped and responded to this man's faith. How profound is that? That Jesus in his compassion, in his mercy, in the midst of, Father, in the midst of this chaotic scene, responded to Timaeus' son and healed him and saved him. Father, I pray that we as individuals, we as a church, there's ever a time when we need blind faith. It is now. And Lord, if these people get elected, we'll need it even more. So Father, we want to once again affirm our absolute unqualified trust and faith in you. We are not defeatists. We're not hard determinists. We're, you know, it's already decided, so why pray? Why have faith? Father, we want to do what we see in your word. And, and, and it has been overwhelming to me how you are pleased and respond to blind faith. May we be people that have faith. We love you. We worship you. We honor you. And all that we do. And all that we think. And hopefully all that we say. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?